All right. Well, good morning. Glad to be with you today as we kick off our brand new series, Things Jesus Never Said. Now, uh, this is, uh, I think, particularly relevant because, as you know, if you misunderstand maybe even just one word that someone might said, it might lead you in a direction that you do not want to go. So, for example, our first Easter at New City Church, so this was April two years ago, it was a couple weeks after we had launched, uh, we were here in the morning getting ready for Easter. One of the things that we were doing was we had pink, uh, blue, and yellow lemonade after the service, you know, just for fun. We were putting peeps on each of the cups, you know, celebrate Easter, all that sort of thing. So my wife, Christina, who was up here earlier, uh, asked somebody to take apart the, the peeps so that we could then put them on the cups. So if you're familiar with peeps, they don't come individually. They come in a package. So you got to like take them apart one by one. And then after we took them all apart, we were going to put them on the cups. And so about 10 or 15 minutes later, Christina comes back and sees that person has not just took apart the peeps, but has tore apart the peeps. In other words, they were decapitated, there was wings, there was heads, it was just in a bowl, body parts everywhere. And we're like, what is going on? That person thought Christina said, tear them apart, not take them apart. And so we had a bunch of peeps that we could do nothing with because they were completely decapitated. Now, why does that matter, right? One small word, one sort of misunderstanding can lead us to down a path, can lead us going in a complete opposite direction that we want to go. And so in this series in the month of August, where things Jesus never said, we're looking at common phrases that people often say, believers often say, and assume that either Jesus said it or it's in scripture somewhere. And we're going to see not only are they not in there, but what did Jesus actually say about these things? And so the first one, as we're beginning today, we'll start with this question. Do good people go to heaven? Right? What do people often say? Good people go to heaven. Is that actually true? And what does Jesus have to say about the question, about the statement of good people go to heaven? Is that actually the case? And so if you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to Mark chapter 10. If not, there's a one in the seat back in front of you or below your seat. And if you do not own a Bible, you can take one of those black ones home. That is our gift to you. So in Mark chapter 10, Jesus is encountering uh, a, what, what has become known as the, the rich young ruler. You may be familiar with this passage. You may not be, but this man is likely a Jewish, uh, Jewish man. He is, uh, is under the law, so he observes the law in his life, and he has, he's wealthy. He has a lot of money, and he sees Jesus. Maybe he had seen him in the past. Maybe he, he had just heard about Jesus, but Jesus is in town. He sees Jesus, and here's what happens. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. It says this, as he was setting out on a journey, so talking about Jesus, Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this was very significant for a man of this stature in this time period, not only to run, but to run in public, and not only to run in public, he then kneels down at his man's feet, at Jesus' feet, and so it shows us he had heard about Jesus, he knows there is something special about Jesus, perhaps he has seen Jesus perform a miracle or two, maybe he has just heard him taught, and so he calls him good teacher, now that is a, uh, a kind of a title for a rabbi, a religious leader, he says, what must I do to in inherit eternal life, right? He had respect for him. He knew that this man was somewhat different than the average man. And here's Jesus's response. This is quite interesting. Verse 18. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good except God alone. Now, this is interesting, especially in our time period, in our culture today. We assume you know, as long as you're good, as long as you do good things, then you must overall be a good person. But Jesus says, no, no, no. Why are you calling me good? Because only God himself is truly good. What's interesting is that the rich young ruler used a human title 
to describe Jesus, right? He called him a good teacher. He called him a rabbi. This is something that you would call a human. Now, Jesus is trying to make a point here as we're going to see that there's something different about Jesus. He says, why do you refer to me as just a, just a mere human? Because humans, even if we do good things, there is still sin, there is still evil. We are still capable of being selfish and prideful. Only God is truly good. And so let me just ask this question as we get through this, that how do you define good, right? Because we like to talk about good people go to heaven as long as you do good things. The question is, how do you actually define it, and what does that actually even mean? And I think part of the reason that we say good people go to heaven is because it's human nature, right? You get what you deserve, but also it sounds very nice, right? It sounds very nice to say, oh, you're, you're good, or, you know, someone who just passed away, as long as, they were, as long as they were good, everything is fine. It sounds really nice, but the question is, what does it mean to be good? And if that's the case, then what is the line? Like, how do you know that you've actually achieved it? Because here's what we know, right? We are much more gracious and forgiving to ourselves than to other people, right? So you could do somewhat something, you could cut someone off in traffic, you could have a bad day, and you have all sorts of justifications about why it's okay for you to act that way. But if someone cuts you off of traffic, it might be the end of the world because I've driven with some of you, right? And so that's like, it's bad, right? So we are a lot, a lot easier on ourselves than other people. I remember recently having a conversation with a woman who basically said that she and her parents were good and they're going to heaven because they were basically good people and they had gone to church in the past. And so the question is, okay, again, how good is good and how often do you have to go to church to make you count as a good person and how, how frequently or how at least close in the past did you have to go to church for that to count in your favor? Right? The question is, if good people go to heaven, who sets the standard? Where is the barometer? How do we actually know who gets in and who doesn't? It becomes quite tricky. And so Jesus respond, continues by saying this. After he says, no one is good except God alone, he says this. You know the commandments. And he's talking about the Ten Commandments here. And he's going to list a few of them. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. <clears throat> and he said to him, so this is the, the, the young ruler responding, teacher, I have kept all of these things from my youth. So good, good news, right? You say I should do good things. I've done all of these things. So generally speaking, what is this man saying? I've been a good person, right? I haven't committed any of the big sins. I'm sure I'm not perfect, but all the things that you have said, I've done them pretty well. So that must mean that I'm good. And yet, this is Jesus' response. Verse 21, <clears throat> looking at him, Jesus loved him. Now, we got to remember that he's saying this out of love, not out of condemnation, not out of shame. It is out of love that he's responding to this man. He says, you lack one thing. Go and sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he, the, the, the young ruler, was dismayed by this command, or by this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Here's what's going on here, right? Jesus seems to affirm that this man has done good things, right? He has been a good person, and yet he's still missing something, right? There's still something that he is missing, right? And it'll be clear that when he says, go and sell your possessions and follow me, he's not saying that if you, if you do this for me, if you sell your possessions, then you're good enough, then you will follow me. No, he's be, to be clear here, his point is this, that what, what you really need is me, right? What you need to do is to follow me. And for you as yourself, as a really rich person, if you give away and you are generous with your possessions, it will actually show that it is me that you want and not what you can get from me. 
Right? What happens oftentimes in our culture and us, if we're being honest, is that we often get mad at God, not because God has done anything wrong, not because God has broken any promise to us, but because we thought if we do this, then God must do this in return, and that is not how God works. This man wanted God to be his genie, not to be his king. And that is what is going on here, that Jesus wants our life. What he ultimately wants us to do is to go and follow him. And so what is Jesus implying here as we're going to see as we continue to read? Here's what we need to know from this text, that good people don't go to heaven. Good people don't go to heaven. What we see here is that this man, by all accounts, was a good person. He probably went to, you know, to church, if we're going to do modern language. He loved people well. He didn't steal. He didn't covet. He didn't do all these things, and yet he still missed something because good people don't go to heaven. In other words, it's not something that you can earn. There's a lot of passages that speak to this. I'll just read one real briefly. It's in Galatians chapter 2. It's on the screen that talks about this very thing, <clears throat> that it is not something that we can actually earn. It says this, Paul the apostle writes to the church in Galatia. He says, we are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So the church in Galatia at this time was made up of predominantly Jewish people. And Jewish people would have looked at Gentiles, those are non-Jews. And probably if we were going to put modern language on it, very racist terms. Like we're better than them. We are not them. We are not sinners like them. And so Paul is saying, hey, look, you think that you are not like the Gentile sinners. And yet, what does he say? He says, and yet, because we know that a person is not justified by the works of the law, in other words, by doing all the good things, by honoring the Ten Commandments and everything in the Old Testament, but by faith in Jesus Christ, even we ourselves have believed in Christ Jesus. This was so that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by the works of the law, no human being will be justified. Again, he's speaking to the Jewish people, God's chosen people, who assumed, yeah, the Messiah has come, but because we are Jewish people, it doesn't really matter. As long as we kind of try to uphold the law, we're so good. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. It's what we do with Jesus that matters, not who you are, not your ethnicity, not how much money you make, not, how much, not, not where you live. It's what you do with Jesus that matters. And so here is here he's kind of the point is to say this, that good people, again, what is Paul saying? We see this all throughout scripture. Good people don't go to heaven. The question is why? And here's what he's saying, because you can't earn eternal life. It is impossible for you and I to stand before a perfect and righteous and holy God and to list off the things of all the amazing things that we have done and to pretend that you and I have not fallen short, that you and I have not sinned, that you guys, you and I have not done things that have separated us from God. And I, I always, I kind of want to, I always want to say it this way when I'm having conversations, people. And I want to say this again. This is not a, I don't say this in a condemning way or to maybe try to, to manipulate anybody in any way. But I always think this, if God is perfect and loving and just, then he has to do something with our sins. No matter how great of a person you are, he has to do something with our shame. He has to do something with our proclivity to be selfish, to be prideful, to look after ourselves before other people. And so if we assume that we are actually the exception, that we are actually the people that can tell God that we are good enough, good luck standing before a perfect, righteous, and holy God and telling him why you are the exception and why he should allow you in instead of everybody else. But that's what Jesus is saying here, that you can't earn eternal life. Now, this seems kind of heavy because the question is, then what do we do? What if it's not about being a good person? What do we do? This is probably what's going through the mind of this religious leader and Jesus' disciples who are watching this conversation. And so he continues by saying this in verse 23, right? So the disciples see this. The disciples see that this man walks away and they're confused. 
And so it says this, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for those who have wealth to enter into the kingdom of God. Now, here's why this is significant, because we kind of think it subconsciously in our day, but the the Jewish uh, readers and the original Jewish uh, followers of Jesus would have exceptionally or, or especially thought this, that all throughout the Old Testament, if you honored God, if you followed his commands, if you loved people, it was typically followed by blessings from God by financial blessings, by life, by all these sorts of things. And so it was assumed at this time that every single person that was wealthy had the favor of God on their life. And so if Jesus is saying that this wealthy man can't enter the kingdom of God, then everyone else thinks, well, hold up. If he can't enter the kingdom of God and he has God's favor because clearly he's rich, then what do the rest of us do? And so they're very scared, very apprehensive about what's going on. And so again, the disciples were astonished at his words, verse 24. They're like, oh my goodness, what do we do? Because we assume if you had money that you're good and you're telling this man who had money and was a good person that he was still lacking something. And so he continues, verse 24, and again, Jesus said to them, children, how hard is it to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now, he is literally saying a camel and a little needle thread. Obviously, a camel can't fit through that because it's like, I don't even know, infinity times bigger than the eye of a needle. Now, what's interesting is that there are commentators that kind of say that's not what he's saying. He's saying that like, you know, when there was walls around the city, there's like the eye of a needle where it was like a small entrance. And so if the camel, you know, got on his knees, then he could like go through if he tried really hard. But that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying that you can't do it. It's, it's, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Now they're thinking, this isn't possible, right? So verse 26, they were even more astonished, saying to one another, then who can be saved? He's rich, he's a good person, and yet he's not, as currently speaking, he is not going to enter the kingdom of God. What do we do? Jesus, 20, verse 27, looks at them and says, with man it is impossible, but not with God, because all things are possible with God. In other words, all things are possible not by you trying hard and you trying to figure it out, but by trusting in what does Jesus say? By trusting and following him. That you cannot be self-reliant on your good works, on your good works, trying to outweigh your battle. You're trying to impress the God, the king of the universe, as if you and I could actually do that. So the question is, who goes to heaven? If good people can't go to heaven, then who can? And Jesus' point is this, that that's the point, that it is impossible. Now for us, it may not make a lot of sense because we assume, right, if you do good things, then you must get a good outcome, right? If you do X, then you must get Y. And Jesus says, that is not how it works. It reminds me, and this is not a perfect analogy, but it reminds me, I've got two kids, Finley, who's four, and Roman, who's our son, and he's 15 months old. And so as a, you know, he's one, 15 months old. When Roman does something, because he's little, it's funny. So when he sits on the cat, it's funny to me, sorry. Uh, when he like puts something on his head, it's funny. He's obsessed with doing muscles right now, so he'll go around the house going, and like, like a vein is popping out of his, it's, I don't know, it's crazy, right? So he does these things, and what do we do? We laugh. And then Finley sees it and assumes, well, if he does it and it's funny, then I'm going to do it and it's funny. And so she sits on the cat and she gets in trouble. No, you can't sit on the cat, right? She does this muscle thing and we just stare at her. Like she puts the same thing on her head that Roman does. And it's just like it's hard, but it's not funny because you're not one. Like it's just, and what's happening here, right? I love you, Finley, I promise. Right? But it's not, it's just like, you know, what's happening? Like she assumes, well, if I do this, 
then I must get this reaction. And that's not what's happening. What's Jesus' point here is simply this, that no one is good enough, that there is nothing you can do to impress the God, the king of the universe, of how you're awesome and how you're amazing and how you deserve forgiveness just on your effort. No one is good enough. That's what Jesus is saying. So that puts us in quite a predicament, right? What do we do if we are not actually good enough? How do we actually go to heaven or better yet, enter the, enter, have eternal life or enter into God's kingdom? What do we do? What does Jesus say here? That we need to follow him. In other words, we need to follow the one who is. That you and I need to give our lives to the man who gave his life for us, not out of compulsion, but because he loves us. And this is the gospel. The gospel is not you try really hard, and if God's having a good day when you happen to die, then he'll let you into the pearly gates, right? That is not how it works. The gospel is that you and I were stuck in our sin and in our shame, and God, out of love for us, not because he needs us or he wants us to do things for him, but purely out of love for us, sent Jesus to live the perfect life that you and I could not live, to die the death that we deserve, so that anyone who trusts and follows him even in the midst of us falling short, even in the midst of our sin, even in the midst of us not always getting it right, can receive eternal life. It's not because of us, because it's because of him. As we say it here around New City Church, that because of Jesus, you have nothing to prove and no one to impress. That it's not about being a good person for the sake of being a good person. It's about following Jesus, allowing Jesus to change your life so that as many people as possible can meet Jesus and grow in a relationship with him because of people people seeing your faithfulness. The gospel is not what you do. The gospel is what Christ has done for us. And as we know, if you were if you looked at the news yesterday, there was a shooting in El Paso, Texas that looked like it was, uh, as the reports are saying now, was targeting people of color, people in the Hispanic community. And maybe you don't know this if you checked the news when you woke up this morning. There was actually another shooting this, past, this early this morning, late Saturday night in Dayton, Ohio, where 10 other people were killed and over 20 people were injured. And what do we do with that? You would think God would say, you know what? These people are always about themselves, are evil, are full with sin. And you would think that God would say, I want nothing to do with them. Yet what does he do? What is the gospel? That in the midst of our shame and our sin, he does not turn away from us. So let me just say this. No matter what you have done, no matter where you are, no matter what has happened to you, that God loves you, that God cares for you, and his grace is for anyone who would come and follow him. And the question is this. Who wouldn't want this? Right? Who wouldn't want the gospel? The gospel, especially in our culture today, is so freeing. Why? Because you and I are lied to every single day. What are we told? that we're perfect. We're told that there's nothing wrong with us. We're told that we should pursue whatever we want to pursue, regardless of how it should make anyone else feel or how it will impact other people. And we know that's not true, right? You know you have issues, right? I know I have issues. As you leave today and you take a tour, if you're new, talk to Christina. She's got a list. Like, I have problems. But what? But God loves us in spite of those things. He gives us life in spite of those things. So why would you want to reject the free gift of grace that God has given us? Now, one reason could be because we like to think that we have it all together, and we like to say we don't need any help, but you know that's not true. And that is why Christ came, that he's inviting us to follow him, not because we're great, but because he is. And that is what he's trying to say to his disciples here. It's so funny to me when people say, well, Jesus actually never comes out and says he is God. I'm like, dude, just read the Bible. It's everywhere, and especially in their culture. Just so you know, he was killed. He was arrested by the Jewish religious leaders for blasphemy. 
Not for being a good person, but for claiming to be God. And that's what he's doing here. He says, why do you call me good? Nobody's good except God. And then what, then what does he say? Come and follow me. What is he saying? I am God and I have come for you. And so the disciples are full of despair. They're like, what do we do? How do we, like, we can't earn it. What do we actually do? And here's what Jesus says as we close out this section, verse 28. Again, the disciples are like, oh no, what do we do? Jesus says, yes, you're right. It's impossible based on your efforts to enter into the kingdom of God. And so he continues, verse 28. Peter, one of the 12 disciples, began to tell him, Jesus, he says, look, we have left everything and followed you. So they're kind of like, well, we've actually done this. So what does this mean for us? What's interesting, and you may not know this, I didn't really realize this until recently, that the disciples were not all poor. So we have this assumption that, yeah, gay, brownie points, that Jesus called the 12 disciples to kind of give up their life and to follow him. But we kind of assume maybe you've thought this. Well, they didn't have much money to begin with, so maybe they were just on for the ride. That's actually not true. What do we know about two of the disciples? At least Matthew, one of the disciples, was a tax collector, which means he was, he was doing quite well for himself. He would take from his own Jewish brothers and sisters for the Roman government, and anything he took in excess, he got to keep for himself. So he was doing fine, and yet he saw something in this man Jesus they said, I'm going to follow him. I'm going to give this up. Or Peter himself, he's probably answering this question. I could be wrong because he is someone who has actually given up something significant to follow Jesus. I was talking to a pastor friend of mine recently who just traveled to Israel, did all those things and came back. And he says, you know, the, the tour guide was telling them, he said, I never knew this and I didn't know this either, that, you know, scripture says, as we see, as we see the life of Peter, that he actually owned a boat. Whether it was his boat or his family's boat, like his family owned a boat. And the type of boat, he was a fisherman, that he likely owned would have cost at least $150,000 in today's currency, today's money. Right? So he has given that up. He's actually given up some financial security to follow Jesus. So he's like, well, well we've all done this. So what, are we, what does that mean for us? Verse 29, Jesus says this. Truly I tell you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or fields for my sake and for the sake of the gospel, who will not receive a hundred times more. Not receive a hundred times more. Now, this isn't like supposed to be like a math equation. What he's trying to say is you will receive infinitely more than you deserve, not by being a good person, not by trying really hard, but following and trusting me with your life. And then he says this, now to be clear, now at this time, houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children, and fields with persecution. So in this life, things will be hard for you. You will suffer. You might suffer in some way for following Jesus. You might also suffer because if we're actually giving Jesus our life, then that means we're going to be generous, that we're going to look at ways to love and serve other people that we're not always going to live for ourselves. So this life will not be everything that you want it to be if you choose to follow Jesus. However, an eternal life in the age to come, God will give you everything that your heart longs and desires, not because of you, because of him. That's what the gospel is, that you have coming to you a reward that is not earned or deserved, but is given with the gift of grace. And so he ends by saying this, but many who are first will be last. And he's talking about what just happened with the rich young ruler. In the last, first. What is he saying here? That in God's kingdom, 
It's a reversal in value. And so in this life, if you choose to uh, go after everything that you want, uh, everything that you desire, no matter how it may impact or hurt other people, you might have power, you might have some success, you might have all these things, and in the world's eyes, you're accomplishing things, you're doing great things, you're first. What he's saying, though, but I'm calling you to humbly follow and love me, to put others before yourself, to not try to get revenge every time somebody hurts you. In other words, you will look last. In this life, as you are a follower of Christ, there may be things that happen to you, and the world will be like, man, it stinks to be them. I can't believe they're not doing this right. You will be last, but in the end, you will win. In the end, you will get everything that you ever wanted and desired by following me, because ultimately, it is found in Christ, and not about us trying really hard. And so here is why you and I need to follow Jesus instead of try to do it on our own. Here's why. Because good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. Good people don't go to heaven, forgiven people do. And let me be clear this morning, you need to be forgiven. Like, you just need to be forgiven. Maybe you've been coming for a while and you're checking things out, and I'm so grateful that you are, but it would be disingenuous to me to tell you that you're good without Christ. That's what Jesus is saying, that all of us are falling short, all of us are missing out without Christ and what he has done in our life. Good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do, people that follow Jesus. And it was interesting to me, uh, a couple years ago, well, more than a couple years ago, when I was in college, um, there was a debate one night between uh, William Lane Craig, who's pretty, he's a well-known apologist, travels the world, you know, that sort of thing, arguing for not just theism, but for Christianity in particular, that it's true, that Jesus who says he is, all these sorts of things. And then they brought in this atheist guy. And I don't know how I figured it out, but I felt bad for this atheist guy because it was his first debate. I think they tried to get somebody else and it fell through, but he was an atheist professor, PhD in mathematics. He was a professor somewhere. And I'm like, okay, he's a math professor and this is his first debate. Like, regardless of who's right and wrong, he's probably going to lose just because he's never done this before. And this William Lane Craig guy has done this for like decades at this point. And so we go to the debate and it's what happened. And I'm not saying that because I'm a Christian. I'm just like, William Lane Craig had plenty of experience. This guy had never done it before, and he made some good points, but it's like, yeah, you're, you're not doing too well. And it came to a pinnacle when he asked a question. And, I, and as soon as the, the atheist asked this question, I was like, oh, he's definitely never done this before, and he's going to learn never to ask this question again. He had become frustrated because, and I don't remember everything that was said, but the, the, the Christian philosopher was talking about this very idea. That the gospel is not you trying really hard. The gospel is that Christ has given us grace. It's completely unique in Christianity among every single world religion. So this atheist guy gets frustrated and eventually asks a question somewhere along the lines of, if you're saying that it's not about what we do, that anybody can receive grace and forgiveness, then what is the difference between the best person in hell and the worst person in heaven? What's the difference? And I'm like, okay, you shouldn't have asked that question. His response is, Nothing. There is no difference. There's no difference between someone who does really great things and someone who doesn't. The difference is Jesus. That's the difference. It's not about you trying really hard and trying to make God be your genie to give you whatever you think you deserve. It's about laying down your life to receive what Christ has done for you. And we do this, listen to me, we do this not because we're told to do this, but because when you've actually seen and experienced what Christ has done for you, it radically changes your life. I'm going to read one more thing this morning. It's in Matthew chapter 13. This is a parable that Jesus, taught, that Jesus shares with his disciples about the kingdom of heaven, about what God is like, what the kingdom of God is actually like. And he uses a parable to say this, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. And then in his joy, 
he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. In other words, he finds a treasure. He doesn't own the field, and so he reburies it, sells everything he has to buy that field so that he can rightfully own that treasure. Or verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. And when he found one priceless pearl, what does he do? He went and sold everything he had, and he bought it. And what does it say here in verse 44? That it was in his joy, not compulsion, not anger, not bitterness. He has said, that is amazing. I want that. I will give everything I have to obtain, to have that in my life. And so in his joy, he goes and does that thing. This is why, if you've been around New City this year, that we have this thing that we've been calling our Just One Campaign, that we want all of us to be intentional with at least one person in our lives, that we're inviting them, that we're uh, spending time with them, that we're loving them. Maybe it's a difficult coworker or a friend that no, many other people like. We want to do this. Why? Because it is our joy to experience the gospel and help other people experience it as well. That's what Jesus is saying, and that's what he has done. When you have actually realized it's not about you, but it's about Jesus, it radically changes everything. And if that's true, which I think it is, and that's what at least scripture teaches us repeatedly all throughout the Bible, then here is the main point, the bottom line from this text this morning, and that's this, that the way to eternal life is not about getting everything right but about following the one who did. Listen to me. It doesn't matter how great a person you are. You can't get everything right. And so what does Jesus say? Come and follow me. Come and follow me. It's not about getting everything right. It's about following the one who did it. So the question is, are you doing that? Again, not out of guilt, not out of condemnation, not out of shame, but out of love. Are you doing that? Do you understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you. Do good people go to heaven? The answer is no, but the answer is so much better because if it was yes, imagine the stress and the pressure and the hardships that would come your way if you thought that you had to make some magical line in order for God to love you. Instead, what do we see? That God loves you and I in spite of what we do, despite what we do, and even as we're following him and falling short, there is grace, forgiveness, and mercy for us. Again, the way to eternal life is not by being a really good person but it's about following the one who actually was perfect on our behalf. And that's the gospel. And that's what Jesus says. It's not about being a good person. It's about following him. And ironically, if you actually follow Jesus, he will change your heart to allow you to do a lot of great things that you never would have, could have, or desired to do apart from him. Again, the way to eternal life is not about getting everything right, but about following the one who did. That's the gospel, and it's a free gift to you and to me. Let's pray.